Hey, thanks for tuning in. I am Eli Sussman, Managing Editor of Fish Stripes, a community for Miami Marlins fans. Uh, Fish Stripes has revamped its podcast operations for the 2019 season. We're now part of the SB Nation Podcast Network for 2019 and hopefully beyond that. And so what does that mean for you? That means we're doing a couple new shows, including this one, which is dedicated to the Marlins farm system. This is 100-mile-per-hour fastballs from Sixto Sanchez and 102 from Jorge Guzman. This is Connor Scott's projectable frame, Will Banfield's flawless technique behind the plate. This is Isan Diaz's gorgeous swing, Monte Harrison's off-the-charts athleticism, Braxton Garrett returning from Tommy John, and Matt Given close behind. This is Austin Dean and Zach Gallon patiently waiting for call-ups, Sean Reynolds putting it all together, Jose Devers growing up before our very eyes, and Victor Victor Mesa living up to the hype, plus hundreds more minor leaguers scattered across the different affiliates. This is Earning Their Stripes. Weekly interviews and banter centered around the young talent expected to lead the Marlins to sustainable success. And here for our preview episode, I'm Eli Sussman. I'm hosting it, but don't get used to that. Uh, for the rest of this season and beyond, we're going to have three main co-hosts, and they're joining me here today. Of the Marlins affiliates, the full season affiliates are going to be in action. The one guy that's not going to be in action is shortstop Osiris Johnson. He was their second round pick in the 2018 draft. So he had a surprise injury in a minor league game just a couple weeks ago. He's undergone surgery. He indicated on Instagram he's out for the season. The Marlins are officially saying five to six months with a stressed fracture in his leg. Uh, over the offseason, Ian, you wrote a pretty in-depth article on what Osiris is and what he's hopefully going to be in the future. Um, so just for those that aren't that familiar with him, you know, just tell our audience about Osiris and who he is as a player and what his strengths and weaknesses are. Well, Osiris Johnson is the type of player when you hear explosive tools, that's the type of player you're looking at. Osiris has the hit tool you projectability, the power projectability, speed projectability and this is all coming at a premium position which is shortstop he was the second youngest player in all the excuse me the youngest player in the 2018 draft and the marlins selected in the second round this injury comes at probably the worst time in his career for him he was injured late last year for the instructional league so he missed some time working out with the top guys last year and after a productive spring he gets a uh, injury like this right before the season and for a guy like this, it's tough not knowing where you're going to play going forward and a year that's going to be completely dedicated to playing at one spot and knowing where you're going to play every day is huge. And getting that taken from you at a young age is tough. So it's going to be exciting to see how he grows from this and how the rehab goes. Absolutely. And, and actually, Ian, I'll hit on that. With me, when someone gets hurt in their career, you look at two things, right? You look at their age and where they are developmentally and you hit it right on the head this is just a tough tough age and developmental year to have this kind of injury um we see you know even if it's from his father or from him or his social media that he's a guy who's going to go after it you know that he's going to hit that rehab hard you know that he's going to be but that age of 18 that first real big step in his development to get hurt now is just, it's a tough break. Yeah, I mean, I love uh, <clears throat> I love what he, he showed last year in uh, like the great, uh, the Gulf Coast League uh, in rookie ball, just crushing the ball at times, showing elite bat speed, uh, showing the ability to drive the ball around. And it's definitely really upsetting that he gets hurt at this stage in his career because this could have been a really big year for him. Uh, he was probably most likely going to start where the rest of the rookies are starting in Clinton this year. Uh, so we could have seen him against some, some, you know, good quality pitching and seen how he continued to develop in his age 18 season. I mean, it's crazy to think that he's only 18 years old and he's playing in, you know, in low A baseball. And so uh, I, I just think it's really upsetting to see him go down with this time of with this type of injury, especially at this point in his career, because he was one of the guys that I was looking forward to following most this year uh, on, you know, on the daily box score that I read up on. Uh, I was really excited to see him. So 
to see him go out with this kind of injury, it's definitely like it, it's good that it's happening early, but it's also bad that it's happening early. It's, I mean, injuries are never really well timed, but uh, to miss an entire season at 88, which is really huge for his development, is really upsetting. Anyway, the way what Ethan hit on is that he was probably projected to go to Clinton, and we have our official rosters out for the start of the opening day in the minor leagues, each of the four full-season affiliates, and we're going to work our way up, starting with Loway Clinton, and this is the first year that they're a Marlins affiliate. They used to have that affiliate in Greensboro, the Greensboro Grasshoppers, but now they move over to Iowa, in case you guys didn't know where Clinton was, because I, I really didn't until this move happened. Um, but yeah, in the middle of the country, and we have our rosters, and uh, even without Osiris, they have a couple of those really highly touted draft picks from last year. They have Will Banfield, they have Connor Scott, uh, other highly regarded prospects, um, got Chris Torres. Um, all these guys are in the Baseball America Top 30 for the Marlins system. Um, but yeah, just to pass it around one more time, starting with Ethan, um, what do you notice about this Clinton roster? Guys you're excited about, guys who may be a little underrated on the team, and just you know, just generally how important these players are in the Marlin system overall. Well, one guy I'm really, really excited about, and you hit on him, is Chris Torres. Uh, I like these middle infielders for the Marlins, and Torres has shown a little more prowess at the plate uh, than, say, a Jose Devers has. And he's just kind of this athletic guy. <clears throat> he drew a bunch of walks last year, surprisingly. That kind of surprised me when he was playing in a short season rookie ball with Batavia, I think, is where he was. Uh, he looked really – his numbers were really good and really jumping off the page. And I like the kind of build that he has. He's just like an athletic middle infielder. Those are my favorite guys to watch. And if he can really come along with the bat, I think he can be a guy that can rock it up through this system. Uh, another storyline, obviously the rookie, but I'll let it. Yeah, go ahead. Somebody you, keep going, you keep going, Ethan. Oh, my bad. Uh, anyway, uh, another storyline is obviously Banfield and Scott, uh, the younger guys that we've talked about a lot. Um, I'll let you guys touch on that more later. But one guy that really has a big year coming is Thomas Jones. Uh uh, a guy that's just kind of been meddling right in the middle of the top 30. And I really think this is a make or break year for him. He's still sitting in low A ball. Uh, he's been with Greensboro for what feels like forever. He was with Greensboro for what feels like forever. And I really think this is a big make or break year for uh, Jones. And it, 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 he's got to perform now and make his way through the system or, uh, you know, it, it could be the end of the line for him with the Marlins. But there's definitely some really intriguing guys. Uh, Sean Reynolds is another name that pops up. Encarnacion is another name that pops up. But, I mean, it really, at the end of the day, it comes down to Banfield and Scott because those are the two of the most important guys uh, in the future of this franchise. Right, yeah, and I'm right there with you. You know, you see that 2018 draft class kind of growing up together, and obviously it gets dampened a little bit with Osiris being hurt. Um, but you hit on the guy that I was going to say is, a little, is under the radar, which is Sean Reynolds. And he plays at a position that – wouldn't it be beautiful if him or Alonzo or someone came up and, and really took hold of that first base prospect that we need, even though I might say that someone later, like a Pompeo might transition over to first or whatever the case is. Uh, but, but someone like Reynolds who has that immense pop 70 grade raw power uh, needs to just make more contact, needs to take more walks, can't be striking out 133 times a year, but is someone who has that under the radar excitement who could fill a void uh, that this organization needs to fill sooner rather than later. I, I agree with both of those. I'm glad you touched on Thomas Jones, Ethan, because again, yes, the make or break year speaks to him more than anybody else, I think, on this entire roster. Thomas has all the tools you look at. He's almost like a poor man's Monte Harrison, if you look at his tools. He hasn't seemed to put it all together. And the swing and miss rate has just seemed to get worse as it goes. And this is the biggest year he has coming for him in 2019, and Clinton's the best place for him. Another player that's kind of under the radar that really nobody's talking about, and I didn't know much about him until last week, honestly, is that's C.J. Carter. We drafted him in the 28th round last year, and he's out of a he's out of Shrewsbury, but he was out of a community college before that. He's small. 
He's got a sidearm slot, and he throws the nastiest slider I think I've ever seen. He pitched in the Futures game in the ninth inning last week and made Gabby Guerrero and Harold Ramirez look foolish on six pitches. And over 29 innings last year across single A and rookie ball, he struck out 38 batters in 29 innings. And the walk rate's a little rough, but he's, he's raw. And he's got a filthy, filthy arm angle that is impossible to pick up. And I'm real excited to see what he can do with a full season low A ball this year in Clinton. And I'll tell you what, Ian, you're not alone on that one. Absolutely. And it's someone that we haven't, you know, because they don't get the pump or they don't get the recognition, a lower draft um, label. But in the article we're about to release on these rosters, he's the guy that I pointed out as a pitcher that might be opening up some eyes that no one's heard of. So you're definitely not alone with that mentality that he can come up, show some things. Um, it, it's, it's impressive when you actually look at the fact that the Marlins found him so late. Absolutely. I mean, you look at that 11 and a half strikeout rate over nine endings last year and then just it's intriguing, you know, like you can you know you can do something like that. And if you can get that walk rate down, he could be something special out of the bullpen. Yeah, Marlon, the Marlins have a lot of those guys in the system right now that are just high strikeouts. They throw gas, they throw, you know, they have a nasty breaking ball. But the one thing for all of them, you know, and it, it's the case with a lot of like the top starting pitching prospects is we have to keep the walks down out of the bullpen. That's going to be super important uh, for a lot of these, a lot of these young relievers and a lot of these young arms in our system as well. Even the starters are going to have to keep the walks down. I think that's going to be a theme that you'll see across a lot of levels this season uh, with some of the bigger pitchers in the system. Yeah. It, I mean, the best place to go with that and speaking of arms is up one level to Jupiter where it is, it's loaded and that's really an understatement. It's, it's one of the best pitching staffs in the minor leagues for any team. Like in recent, it's really just absolutely loaded with the top arms in the Marlins system. Uh, just to name some of the guys that are top prospects, consensus top prospects in the system. You have Edward Cabrera, you have Braxton Garrett, you have Jordan Holloway, you have Trevor Rogers and Will Stewart. Uh, on the hitting side, you have Jose Devers, you have Riley Mahan and James Nelson. James Nelson, who just two years ago was the minor league player of the year in this system. And I mean, most impressively in the outfield, Tristan Pompey and Victor Victor Mesa, the guy that they paid um, a record amount for this team for an international amateur player, over $5 million for him. We got to see a little bit of him in spring training, but that was kind of derailed by a hamstring injury. Um, so he's someone that they think is ready to go for opening day. We're actually going to send one of our writers to cover that opening day game on Thursday. So stay tuned for updates from that, maybe some highlights and some pics of him in that uniform. But, I mean, it's an absolutely loaded roster, so I don't know where you want to begin. But, but Ian, I mean, just, like, go wherever you want to go with the roster. I mean, I've been excited about this roster. Like, just thought of it since probably last offseason. Um, we've had young guys that we drafted that I knew would be in Jupiter eventually. We had some injuries with the Tommy Johns to, talk to Jordan Holloway and Braxton Garrett. And even Ben, they're now back. We have five pitchers in a rotation with plus-plus pitches. Like, you don't see that in any rotation at any level, really anywhere. I was able to come across the four pitchers that are starting the first series today and I posted it on Twitter, and out of nowhere, people started noticing how underrated this rotation is. It's filthy from top to bottom, and the Jacksonville rotation is getting plenty of attention, and that's rightly so, and we'll talk about that a little bit later. But, this, I mean, I, I don't know what to tell you right now. Like, you have two guys with 70-plus fastballs on a rotation, and you add that with a plus curveball with Jordan Holloway and a plus changeup with Edward Cabrera. And you mix that in with the three other pitchers that I mean, I just, I'm sorry, I'm baffled right now with this rotation that yeah, um, we're about to pull out here on Thursday. And I know Daniel's got more to talk about it, but come back to me, I got some more. <laughs> <laughs> well, if anything, I'm just jealous that you're so close to it. Uh, what we were yeah. talking before we started, he's like an hour and a half drive from seeing this. Where any day he could go up, Monday he's going to be there, or whatever the day is, and he's going to get a plus fastball, like you said. And the next day he's going to get one of the best curveballs in the minor leagues. And I'll even go one step further than Eli. I really do believe this will be the best starting rotation in the minor leagues. I, I really believe it. You know, we make the joke that we have, uh, what is it, the baby-faced aces at the pro level. Mm -hmm. And uh, they won't even be the best staff in their organization. 
because this is yeah. this is going to be it. Um, it's incredibly impressive what they have there. And if you go for the pitching, you stay for Jose Devers. You stay for Victor Victor Mesa. You get to see Pompey continue to grow in front of you. I mean, it is an impressive, impressive level that the Marlins have built there. Uh, and like I said, I'm just jealous that Ian gets to be so close and witness that this entire season. Yeah, this probably, when you look up and down, is probably like the most important roster if you're going to really be following along with the prospects all season like I am and like we all are. Uh, but names that jump off the page to me, Trevor Rogers. I mean, his numbers were really weird with Greensboro last year because they don't look very good, but he was actually pretty solid. He just didn't get a lot of help from the guys behind him. He got BABIP to death last year. Uh, but his strikeout numbers were incredibly impressive. He had a game where he, like, I think he took a no-hitter really deep, and he had 13 strikeouts, in seven and uh, two-thirds in or something like that, pitched deep into the eighth, maybe even the ninth. Um, he really, I liked what I saw from him last year, the Marlins first-round draft pick from 2017. Uh, going one year earlier than that is Braxton Garrett. We finally get to see him pitch. Here. Yeah. And another guy who's not getting very much love on this team, and I think it's going to be invaluable for the whole entire year, is Nick Fortes. He was mm-hmm. a draft pick last year in the fourth round out of Old Miss. He came directly off, off a 436 on base percentage year, uh, his junior year in college, with 21 more walks and strikeouts. He went across three levels of the minors last year before catching an injury. And now going into 2019 is fully healthy. His defense is, I would say, very, very slightly, a little bit less than Will Banfield's, mm-hmm. but it's right, it's right there. In, in 2015, at the perfect game, he popped had a pop time of 190, which is very close to being elite. He's got polished defense behind the plate. He knows how to work a staff, and he knows how to work a count when he's at yeah. when he's got the bat in his hand. Have, have you, like, excuse me. Having that kind of uh, prowess behind the plate is going to be really important for this kind of uh, pitching staff uh, to make sure that they're putting, you know, he's putting them in good spots and uh, setting them up, them up well to to dominate and use their stuff properly and maximize their stuff. Like I don't think you can underrate the importance of what you just talked about with Fortes. Yeah, and, and a couple of things about Fortes that um, I think are interesting that people might not have noticed. One is that he's half Cuban. He's not, uh, he wasn't raised uh, in all that much Cuban tradition, but uh, that is one thing that he mentioned on an interview. And I think if people know that, even if he doesn't look the part, I think that's something that will resonate with Marlins fans in the same way that resonates when they have full Cuban players. Another one is that he was, for a couple weeks of spring training, he was actually in major league camp. Like what we see over the course of spring training is that a lot of these Minor leaguers get called up for road trips to just play in the games where they need bodies on the road or in certain situations when the other guys are just feeling hungover or whatever. But he was actually like placed in major league camp for, I think, a week, a week and a half this spring. And um, I, I get when what that really involves, you don't really know exactly. You know, it's going through the workouts with actual major league pitchers, catching their bullpen sessions. Um, he only played in a couple of games during an actual grapefruit league play. So uh, I, I don't want to overstate it, but the actual transaction of putting him in major league camp um, at a time where, like, if you look at this Marlins organization behind Jorge Alfaro, then you had that big drop off to Will Banfield, who could be great someday, but it's still several years away. And Nick Fortes being like the one guy in the organization who's in the middle of that in case something goes wrong with Alfaro or in case um, they really need they don't want they want to stop rotating between all these backups that they have. I mean, Fortes is one that's going to be interesting. Um, before we move on from Jupiter, I think it is important to just go through specifically Victor Victor Mesa because he's the guy yeah. that people know. He's the one that entering spring training, there were a lot of mixed opinions, of course, because we haven't really seen him that much. Uh, I, I saw people that were actually thinking about him on the opening day major league roster, which was insane considering yeah. how much time it yeah. Um yeah, so, I mean, to just go around quickly on Victor Victor, um, what have you, you think we've learned from him in very, very limited reps? Um, and where do you think he ends the season, whether you think he'll be in Jupiter all year or uh, how far do you think he'll go this year? And uh, what kind of adjustment do you think it's going to be for him now that he's playing in the U.S. for the first time? 
I'll, I'll start there, but I think uh, we could see him. I mean, I, it might be a stretch to say we could see him in September, but if he hits the way that we think he's going to in terms of hitting for average and making a lot of contact and, uh, you know, getting on base a ton, like I think that's something that this organization really needs across all levels uh, because one of the things that we really struggled with last year was guys making contact. And so I think that he, he could be valuable anywhere to the point where I could see him moving up to the MLB at some point. Um, but uh, I, I don't know. I think most likely uh, he gets as far as, as Jacksonville. Uh, he, he, it's such a development. It's such a change coming over to the United States and seeing, uh, you know, major league quality pitching for the first time that I think most the reasonable expectation is to see him in, you know, he'll finish in Jacksonville after uh, putting up, hopefully putting up the numbers that we expect him to in Jupiter. Yeah, I'll parrot that a little bit. I think that there's just a lot of mystery and ambiguity with him, right? He hasn't seen professional pitching and definitely nothing like he's going to see in the state in over a year. Uh, we're going to have to see what he does. My guess is he actually has a relatively quick promotion to Jacksonville. Um, I don't want to put off entirely that the possibility that he'll get to uh, Marlins Park in September. I could actually see that if he really does make contact the way that we expect him to because the speed and the fielding will already play. Although that first play in center field was unfortunate to start off spring training, but uh, it'll play in the big leagues. So if we make that contact, if we're starting to see that plate discipline against stateside pitching, I think he gets a rather quick promotion in Jacksonville. And if he performs there, I could see him in September. Uh, but I agree with Ethan, the more conservative, uh, probably more realistic expectation is he finishes off in Jacksonville with a very good shot at starting next year. Um, and proving himself in major league camp next year. Yeah, I think I'm in unison with Jacksonville on the Victor Victor Mesa. I think he will spend at least two months in Jupiter getting his timing down again. He hasn't played really competitive baseball in so long that it's going to take time for him to get his feedback and get his timing back and to see if he's really in shape and healthy after this hamstring injury. I do think Jacksonville will be the last place he plays this year, um, tampering expectations because of the mystery we have of him and the things that ha he has going forward and the people we have in front of him in the system in Jacksonville mm -hmm. and in New Orleans. It's going to take time for him to jump, say, a couple players. Man, granted, they're not high-profile players, but the time he needs to get ready is going to take at least, I think, a full 365 days before he's on the major league roster. And one last quick thought on this. Uh, don't, you know, don't put off the MLB just yet because like uh, we've seen in the past, uh, Danny said he expects a pretty quick promotion. We've seen these Marlins uh, executives very quick to promote guys uh, based on results. I mean, think about the fact that those top four draft picks last year played 20 something games. Uh, in Lowy Greensboro, so we've they've shown a willingness the Marlins front office to promote guys if they're performing up to their standards and how they expect them to perform. They've shown a willingness to not worry about uh, the normal timetable for promoting guys and to promote guys when they're performing. And so I think because of that, there's a possibility that yeah, we could see him in Little Havana in uh, you know September, maybe even before them if he really really. Uh, takes the world by storm. Uh, this right. Summer. And right before we go to Jacksonville, I'll add one more name because I guess I'm like the uh, underrated first base guy today. There's another Cuban in Jupiter. His name is Lazaro Alonso. He's a mm -hmm. 6'3", 20 uh, first baseman. Again, in a position where we don't have someone, if he now starts to make more contact, starts to take some more walks, He's someone that could get promoted. And then you're talking about someone who's relatively closer than a Reynolds would be um, to actually sitting at Marlins Park. And again, imagine that a full born Cuban first baseman lefty presence would be a beautiful thing for both the business and the baseball side of the Marlins. We didn't even talk about Edward Cabrera. I mean, right. I love this guy. Yeah. Like, there's so, yeah. there so much talent on this roster. It's really exciting. Yeah, it's, it's, it's completely deep 25 man. And, a guy who I can see on J on Jupiter who's completely off the radar now on a lot of people's things, and he's not even on Clinton, but and that would be Davis Bradshaw. I was mm -hmm. truly surprised to not see him on Clinton when the rosters came out today, and I think he's going to move extremely quickly this year if he puts up the same type of numbers he did last year. Yeah, and look, a little um, 
annoying about this time of year is that it is more difficult to get injury information on players in the minors than it is on the majors. Um, there are, aside from Davis Bradshaw, uh, there are probably a handful of other guys that uh, people are aware of that you would think would be on a full season roster, but aren't. And I imagine there are a few injuries going on there, but I don't have anything to report at this time. I think we'll find out very soon, like who's injured and who, what it is. And hopefully it's nothing significant. Um, but yeah, definitely in a few cases, um, a, a few omissions probably from the Clinton roster at least. But yeah, as promised, we are going to move up to Jacksonville where it is a different story from Jupiter. Uh, not all that many guys that necessarily have star ceilings in them, uh, but it is good depth of guys that are top 30 prospects. Uh, Joe Dunand, Brian Miller, you have, let's see, you have Robert Duggar, you have You've won a guy that I really like who's just a reliever, but one that took a big step forward last year, Dylan Lee. And you have Jordan Yamamoto, who was one of the best performers in the whole organization last year, went healthy both during the regular season. And then he opened a lot of eyes during the Arizona Fall League. Uh, same routine with what we did the past couple rosters. Uh, who sticks out to you about Jacksonville um, and uh, guys that might be underrated to you? Uh, once again, going with Ian, whatever sticks out. I mean, the ro- again, the rotation plans mm-hmm. to be fantastic again. Sixto is starting the year and extending spring training, as we know, but his looks to start when he gets healthy to be with Jacksonville. So that'll give him a starting five, likely, of Sixto Sanchez, Jordan Yamamoto, Robert Duggar, um, excuse me, Brett Graves, and my mind is lost on the fifth one now. So we're going to Yeah, I keep forgetting about Jorge Guzman. Yeah, yeah, and I and it, I don't know why it's why it's blowing my mind right now. 102 miles an hour, I can forget about. But yes, Jorge Guzman, which is a huge make or break here for him as well. If this is the year we see him stick mm-hmm. as a starter or possibly make his transition to the bullpen, yep. which eventually could happen. On the on the defensive side and on the plate, Bryson Brigman is another one who's in camp yep. in Jacksonville yep. that could have a good year. He spent a lot of time there last year after the trade and hit well hit well in the Arizona Fall League, sold some bases, and plays quality defense all around the diamond. I'm excited to see what he does with the full year. And he's living in a trailer this spring and this year, so it's pretty crazy too. But um, that's a name that I'm looking forward to see this year in Jacksonville. And Joe Dunan, um, he got moved up pretty early last year, and I'm excited to see with the full year in Jacksonville what he can do after it was a hot start, then he was cold, but he finished the year hot again, so maybe he can stay consistent this year. Yeah, uh, I look at Jacksonville, Jacksonville almost as the rebuilding staff, right? When you when you go through a rebuild, you're going to have um, individuals that you trade all across the minor leagues. But when you're talking about Sixto Sanchez, Jorge Guzman, Jordan Yamamoto, you need those guys to produce, right? When you're trading away the likes of the individuals that they traded away for those three pitchers, obviously they weren't all the primary pieces in that, although with Guzman and with uh, Sixto they were. You want you want value, and you want them to develop the correct way. Um, they just mean a little bit more, right? When you're giving up the kind of talent you are, so that's that's what I'm looking at there. But even away from that, uh, I'm just happy Sierra's finally where he's supposed to be. I mean, <laughs> you know, we have uh, a lot of people on Twitter, and a lot of commentators have just completely given up on him, and I understand why. I get it. And then I'll also say the kid's 22. The kid's 22. You know, we have to we have to let him develop. They've been very uh, hasty, both the Cardinals and the Marlins, with putting him up. Mm-hmm. I guess because his defense was sufficient, uh, and that's what they wanted him for in that speed. But again, the kid is 22. Let him yeah. develop. Let him get as many at-bats as he needs in, uh, in Jacksonville and in AA. And then with all this outfield depth that we finally have, I don't think that we'll see him prematurely promoted again. You know, yeah. I think we'll have a nice year where he could develop where he could take his time uh where we can see that 22 year old i'll say it as many times as i can in this yeah. develop uh so i'm excited for that and quite frankly i think brian miller at some point is going to show up at marlins park the kid can hit the guy can hit up and down and i think that as long as he shows that his defensive abilities can play at the major league level he'll eventually find himself a role um, which again is a testament to the depth that we have here in the outfield. So, so yeah, that rebuilding staff and then Sierra and Miller are, are the, the two position that I would look at. 
Yeah, Danny, it's crazy. Uh, I didn't even realize Mags was only 22 uh, because he spent so much time up and down in the majors. Uh, so, yeah, it is something to think about that, you know, let him stay down in Jacksonville. Let him really work a lot of at-bats at the minor league level uh, because he can develop. And, you know, one thing that he really has to work on is getting on base, uh, mm-hmm. taking, you know, his plate discipline, taking more walks. Um, but, you know, it'll be interesting to see the, the type of numbers that he puts up in double A. But one guy, uh, Ian touched on him that I'm really excited about is Bryson Brigman. He came over in the Cameron Maben trade from the Mariners last year, and he has not stopped hitting. Uh, he hit 310 in, in with Jacksonville. He hit 338 uh, with Jupiter. Uh, he spent more time in the Mariners system last year, and he hit his slash line was 304, 373, 391. Uh, he doesn't hit for a lot of power, but the dude hit, makes contact and he gets on base. And uh, he's just another athletic middle infielder that the Marlins have been stockpiling really ever since Denbo got here. Uh, and and I love the kind of uh, stockpile that they have in the middle of the infield. Uh, Guzman is the big one. He's the big name, obviously. He's the top 10 guy on this roster. Um, Like Ian said, it's a make or break year for him. I wrote about this in my season preview article. Um, Either he performs well as a starter and we keep him as a rotation guy or he doesn't and his walks still kind of are really high and we move him to the bullpen. And I don't think it, it has a negative connotation to it, obviously moving to him to the bullpen, but I don't think it's necessarily a terrible thing because of the stuff that he possesses. I think it could even play better out of the bullpen when you bring in a guy that's throwing 102 with a nasty hook. Um, so that it's a big year for Jorge Guzman. And then another guy is, is Yams. I love Jordan Yamamoto. He performed so well last year. Every time he took the mound uh, in Jupiter, every time he took the mound in Jacksonville, uh, he he just works deep into ball games. He seems like he goes six innings pretty much every night. He strikes a ton of guys out. Uh, I really like him, and I like his makeup because he's one of these guys that won't overpower you with speed, obviously, uh, but his stuff is just really deceptive. And he, he strikes a ton of guys out for a guy that doesn't throw very hard. Uh, and so I really like him. But, yeah, those two guys really uh, – those few guys really stand out to me. Uh, I'm excited to see Sixto and his first action in the Marlins uh, organization. And I think when you put together that top three of Guzman, Yamamoto, and uh, Sixto, and then you add in Duggar uh, – Duggar had a really quietly had a pretty good year last year. So I really, I like this rotation more than in Jacksonville, more than I did last year. Uh, but yeah, the, the offensive firepower won't be there as much because Monte has moved on and Nissan moved on uh, during the year last year, but watch out for Brigman on the offensive side of the ball. And then the rest of the way, it's going to be pitching, pitching, pitching for Jacksonville. Well, one last guy on talking about on the offensive side on Jacksonville who had a Super hot start to last year out of nowhere and got mm-hmm. an unlucky injury at the end there is Justin Twine. Mm-hmm. He was mm-hmm. hitting 400 for forever last year in AA out of nowhere, and nobody knew where it came from or nobody knew where, where it's going to go. So he took an injury at the end of the year, and I know Eli had missed an opportunity for an interview with him, interview with him around then, so I'm not sure how his offseason went. But he's a guy who's real intriguing to me if that was just a fluke or – if he's ready to turn into a quality middle infielder, like we hoped he would when we drafted him. Right. And it's, I I had paid a lot of attention to him last year because not just because not necessarily that I buy into what happened late last season, (laughs) um, because it was so heavily driven by batting ball, like balls on in play instead of actually (laughs) sending it over the wall and without seeing much plate discipline for him. Like it, it will be very interesting to see how he makes adjustments to actually sustain that production but what just stuck out is that he was from a draft class in 2014 that's been pretty much a failure with the exception of brian anderson that that's like just a total whiff by what was the previous front office uh just on a year where they were picking near the very top of every single round where they had tyler kolek who was at number two overall and that's the name that we haven't brought up yet because he's not (laughs) on these rosters and uh, i don't even want to go into that um that's yeah that's for yeah. another episode. But that's Too many of those drafts. 
too many of those tracks with the last uh, regime. Uh, and, and we're already seeing a difference this year because those four guys that we talked about, and we didn't even talk about Pompey, who I love, but uh, those, those four guys for, at the top are already making an impact in the organization. And it's good to see that coming off draft after draft after draft where nobody's making an impact, to see four guys making an impact right away, right out of the gates. And now Pompey is on a single-A roster and a high-A roster, and I wouldn't be surprised at all if we see him in Jacksonville this year. So guys making an impact early on from the draft is huge, and it's going to be huge going forward as well. Yeah, I mean, first impressions of those guys in last year's class were really impressive. And again, this year, they pick even higher up, number four overall. And pretty high in three picks at the top 50. And of course, this is going to be a show that's going to do a lot of coverage leading up to that and then immediately after that. Um, but that's not really my forte for now. I'm just going to go up to the final level to AAA New Orleans. And it's a AAA is always a mixed bag of you know mm-hmm. veteran retreads that are looking for another opportunity and some actual legitimate prospects. I mean, first with guys that saw some big league action last year, you had. Austin Dean, who was the minor league player of the year and then broke through in August to get a call up. Uh, Brian Holiday was their backup catcher for uh, pretty much all of last year and didn't really hit very much, but he stayed in the organization and he's a guy that still looks like a real major leaguer um, that will hopefully get an opportunity later in this year. Um, Other guys, Harlan Garcia, who was up and down the last few years and really inconsistent last year. Um, had some really bright moments, but ultimately got squeezed out of this pitching staff. Uh, to the actual prospects that you have there, you have Zach Gallen, who was there all of last season and had some bright moments. You have you have Jose Quijada, who they placed on the 40-man roster, who had really impressive results last season as well. Isaac Galloway is still around. Uh, I, I mean, that's amazing, really. One of the, it was a feel-good story last year that he finally got a call-up yeah. after knows how many years in the organization um harold ramirez was the one that was a personal favorite of mine the signing that they had um really minimal commitment who did pretty well in spring training but they couldn't quite find room on the roster who was just really natural hitter and then isan diaz who uh we saw a little bit in spring training who was one another piece from that christian yelitz deal um but uh i'll turn it over to and then nick Nider, probably most of all who um minor league pitcher of the year last year and uh, a guy that uh, in a lot of other teams would probably have some space in the rotation, but right now he's waiting his turn. Um, so one more time running through it with Ian guys that stick out to you on this roster um, for good or bad. Uh, what should people be paying attention to? Uh, I mean, I'm upset to see Austin Dean triple I mean, yeah. granted it was necessary for what we had with the roster makeup going into the opening day, but the kid did everything he needed to do in spring training to make the opening day roster, and he just didn't make it. Stole more bases than anybody on the team. He hit at a good clip. He was getting people on. He was scoring runs. He was playing decent defense. I'm excited to see how long he has to spend in AAA this year after torching it the last year and torching AA the year before that. Um, Austin, I mean, I passed Austin Dean. Gabby Guerrero and Harold Ramirez, again, caught – I thought the short end of the stick in spring, they got, they got at bats in games, but it wasn't important in bats. They were facing minor leaguers. Mm -hmm. They were facing guys who weren't going to make the roster. So it wasn't important at bats due to the position battles we had with Coop and OB and so forth. But those are three guys I was really excited to see going forward. Asan Diaz, probably my favorite, one of my favorite players in the entire system needs to have a huge year to really showcase that he's the real deal. The swing is gorgeous. Everybody knows that. He's just got to put it together and put the bat on the ball. With the rotation, Nick Nider is going to be obviously the standout, and he's leading a group behind him with Jeff Brigham, Ellie Iser, and Hector Nwazi, which is not the sexiest of staffs, but guys that can give you outs, along with the Ben Meyer, who has been using the bullpen in the majors, but I would expect him to get stretched back out as a starter in AAA this year. In the bullpen is Tommy Efield. I mean, Man. everybody loves touchdown Tommy, me included. He looked good in his in his opportunities this spring, and I'm really excited to see what he does with likely a closer position with Nola this year in 2019. 
Yeah, I'm with you there. Uh, I kind of view New Orleans as the antithesis, but not really, to Jacksonville and Jupiter, mm-hmm. where in Jupiter and Jacksonville, you go to see the pitching, and you're there, and you're okay because there's some hitters. In New Orleans, you're going to come here to see the hitters. You're going to come here to yeah. see that deep outfield. You're going to see Asan. You're going to see Monte, Harold, whoever the case may be. You're going to see them. But then you also say because there's very unique, special uh, pitchers that you can see influencing the Marlins sooner rather than later. Um, you know, touchdown Tommy, that's that's the man that I would peg as the future closer, whether they're still using closers around that time or not, of this next mm-hmm. upcoming successful core. That's, that's who I think – uh, he will develop into. But then you look at Nider or um, um, Brigham or whoever the case may be, or Zach Gallen, which quite frankly, I think is the first one that would get called up if the if the rotation needs anybody, unless yeah. they stick Chen in there, God forbid. But if not, Gallen showed himself to be a sufficient starter this year in spring. He showed that he wasn't going to be hit around the way he was last year. Uh, so so I see it as you go for the fireworks. You're there to see a song, right? Fangraphs loves him. We love him. He's He has that swing. He needs a better um, approach. We want some more contact, but he's always been a nice OBP guy as well. And then with Monte, you want to make sure that that stance and that change actually hasn't completely depleted the power that we saw, right? In the AFL, the Arizona Fall League, we saw a little bit less power than we did not see any power this spring um, we want to be able to see that he can still drive the ball effectively. So you go for the offense and you stick around because there are definitely some pitchers that will be wearing Marlins uniforms much sooner than later. Yeah, Danny, I'm glad you touched on Monte because I mean, we we went through half a segment without talking about the, what he's the second ranked prospect in our uh, organization right now. I mean, I love this guy. Uh, He brings a, a, an energy to the game that's fun to watch. He's my kind of guy in terms of just the swagger that he brings to the field. But uh, he, he really struggled, as we all know, with striking out last year, as a lot of guys did. As San Diaz is another guy that did it. Uh, he really, really struggled with the strikeout, and it's going to be the big storyline this year is can he get the strikeout numbers down? Can he get on base more? Can he put the ball in play more? And we saw that in spring uh, and in the Arizona Fall League. But as you said, uh, where was the power? Uh his his I think his uh, slugging percentage was under 400 in the Arizona Fall League, which is pretty unex- uh, for a guy like Monte Harrison is ridiculous to see uh, a slugging less than 400. But really on the offensive side of the ball for me, uh, it's Isan. Like I think this guy is the most solid prospect uh, because of the way that he can get on base. Uh, he's the type of player that is very successful in the league right now, where his average uh, in Jacksonville last year in 83 games was only 245, but his OBP was 365. Uh, so, yeah, he doesn't make a, as much contact as you'd like, but he gets on base a ton, and we know he can hit for power with that beautiful swing. And his strikeouts were a little high, but uh, it, it it wasn't as bad as, you know, it, it's not up in the 30s. Uh, which has been a problem with some of the guys in this organization. So it's better. Um, look for him to lower the strikeout numbers and look for him to just continue get up, to get on base. And if he can make more contact, there's no doubt he's shown up in Miami at some point this year. Um, with pitchers, obviously the story is nidered. I'm surprised I have yet to call anybody the Kyle Hendricks of the organization yet on this podcast, but nidered is one of those guys that I'd consider. Uh, another guy like Yams with – not as much, you know, fiery stuff like some of the guys in the lower parts of the organization, um, but can control it so well and is really deceptive. He was absolutely dominant all last year. I think, Eli, you said he was the pitcher of the year in the organization. Uh, his numbers, night after night after night, were always impressive. I loved when he would take the mound because I knew I was going to have something uh, good to report Uh Great pitcher. I wouldn't be surprised at all if we see him. He, I mean, he made a jump up to number three, I think, it, definitely into the top five on uh, pipe on pipeline uh, in terms of our top 30. Um, I, I love Nider. Gallon, I was really hoping he would make an appearance in the, in the major leagues last year, and it was kind of concerning to me that he didn't. Um, but it seemed like he had a good spring, and he had some really nice performances uh, last off, last uh, season. So I'm excited to see him. I hope he gets called up to the big leagues at some point because we got to get something out of this Ozuna trade besides just um, 
Sandy Alcantara, and obviously Sandy's great, and he had a great start the other night. But we really need somebody else from this trade to produce for it to really pay off because Ozuna is such a great player. But the biggest storyline for me is Monte. I'll be watching Monte, Monte, Monte the entire year, and I just really hope he gets those strikeouts down and we see him hitting for more power. Uh, than we did in, in in Arizona and in the spring, but this is an exciting roster for sure. I mean, not as many big names as you would, ex- the, you know, the two big names obviously, and the Nider. Uh, but Tommy Eville, like you guys talked about, um, if Guzman doesn't take the closing role, if he stays around, then Eveld is definitely a guy that's in line for that, and he's just an entertaining guy. And um, but yeah, I like this New Orleans roster a lot. Uh, but Isan and Monte are the two guys to really, really focus on because they're gonna. I hope they're going to produce a bunch at the plate this year. All right. I feel, I feel terrible for not bringing up Monty in my segment, guys. I, I have a habit of doing that. I look past the top guys. I'm so focused on talking yeah. about guys that aren't being talked about. But I feel this. I feel disappointed now. But I'm I'm excited for for Monte season and Nola and no leg kick and homers is all I'm looking for. Yeah. No, it's, it's my fault. I took time to actually put notes together and make sure I highlighted like every player that was uh-huh. worth mentioning. And then I turned on the pod and don't know where the notes went. So I was <laughs> like speaking off the top of my head and I thought I got everybody except I missed the guy that we used to promote this episode. And they like, really enthusiastic. That's how it goes, man, you know. So for, sure, for sure, Monte is going to be mentioned on this pod frequently and on the website frequently. And Absolutely. we're going to get out of here on one more thing that I did not prepare you for. So please do not overthink it, but it's fun to just put your thoughts out there at this time of year. If you were to predict who you think is going to be the player of the year in this organization, the best position player and the pitcher of the year, who are your favorites for those awards at any level of the organization, they give it out to, you know, anyone in a full season affiliate, who are your picks starting with Ian, your player of the year, pitcher of the year predictions for 2019. Man, player of the year and pitcher predictions. I believe Jordan Holloway or, Mm. Zach Gallen will be the pitcher of the year in the entire organization. Um, hitter of the year is tricky on that one. Uh, I, Davis Bradshaw won lower. He won back to Avia's hitter of the year last year for 364 average and getting on base like a monster. I could see something like that coming from Brian Miller this year in AA. But my full, my full focus and my pick for pitcher of the year <clears throat> – would have to be Asan Diaz. I mean, I think he's going to hit 20 home runs in AAA this year. I think he's going to be in the majors in August. And I have full full faith in him as becoming a top-flight prospect. I like it. You know, you and I always joke that we agree a lot, but we really do. Um, but I won't choose the same one. I won't choose the same one. I'll go a little different for you. Hitter of the year, I'm going to go Tristan Pompey. I oh, want to see that. That's easy I know, I know, I know. But hey, no one has said it yet. <laughs> hey, I know. I, I fell in love with Tristan as soon as we drafted him. That's a good pick. Yeah. Absolutely. So I'm going with Tristan. And then where you definitely, where we definitely found and we agree alike are I'm choosing Jordan Holloway. I loved the segment that you did with him. Um, I just love the stuff. Uh, I, I really believe, and it's, it's a risky pick, right? Coming off oh, of injury, yeah. whatever the case may be. But I think that he's going to put it together. And usually there's some spark for the people that don't see it coming. And I see that with him. So uh, my two are Pompey and Holloway. Uh, the last few years, the hitter of the year has uh, been one of the more under the radar guys. I'm um, uh, James Nelson two years ago and then Austin Dean uh, last year. So this year I'm going to go with Brigman. Uh, I, I pulled up the numbers and the numbers are really good. He makes contact a ton. He gets on base a lot. Uh, I think he'll put up really good numbers again in Jacksonville. Uh, so I think Bryson Brinkman is going to end up being the hitter of the year. I think he, he'll have another really solid year uh, in Jacksonville. And then hopefully maybe even we could see him up in New Orleans and put some, together some nice numbers. Uh, pitcher of the year is a little more complicated because there's so many good options. Um, but uh, I'm going to go with Nider. I just think he's just so solid. And the starts that he put together last year were so impressive uh, the way that Every fifth night or however many it is, because sometimes it gets thrown off in the minor leagues. But uh, every time out there, he was really just so impressive. And I mean, going deep, going six plus innings, uh, 
striking a bunch of guys out, not letting up a ton of hits, not letting up a ton of walks. Uh, just I, I I don't see any reason to expect anything less from Nidert, uh this year. I think he puts together another really solid year. And the only reason I, I would say he won't win it is because he gets to the MLB too early if he just continues to dominate the way he did last year. One under the radar guy, under the radar guy that can win Pritchard of the Year as well is newcomer Will Stewart. Yes, the number the numbers he put up last year in Low A were phenomenal. I mean, it was his first real year with numbers like that. But 120 innings, he struck out 119 batters. He was eight and nice. one. He had an ERA of two. He was he was phenomenal. He, he works five pitches into his arsenal. He's I mean he's I have the ability to be a stud. Built the same way Nider is, but with Adam Conley deception. It's it's a fun one to watch. The only thing I'm disappointed of is that you didn't set that up with, you know, the guy we got for Riamuto. <laughs> and the guy we got coming up on an interview here soon on our brand new pod. <laughs> perfect, perfect. Yeah, absolutely. The goal with this pod moving forward, once I get kicked out of here, it's a little clumsy to do it with four people that are all part of it. <laughs> once I get out of here, we're going to bring in plenty of guests on a weekly basis whether it's players in the organization, guys that are consensus top prospects or ones that just have fun stories, whether it's the expert evaluators, we're going to mix it up and bring in a lot of different perspectives and have a good time. And I'll stay behind the scenes managing this, editing this episode and putting it up and promoting it for you guys. Uh, For people that are unfamiliar, I'm the one that sends out the tweets from Fish Stripes that operates our Mm -hmm. Facebook and Instagram pages. So whenever you see stuff there that is not very good, complain directly <laughs> to me. And uh, anything that doesn't come together all that great with this pod episode, again, that one's that one's on me trying to set it up and get comfortable with this. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I think all three of you guys, uh, I think you're going to put together a great pod throughout the year. Excited. I'm, I'm going to work my best behind the scenes to make sure – Everything goes together smoothly, and so we get the kind of audience we're looking for. Um, you can find Ian and Danny and Ethan. You can find them on Twitter. All that information will be in, in the episode description. You can read them on fishstripes.com. You can read myself on fishstripes.com, and it's, you can find this episode posted on fishstripes.com, but you could also see it distributed at, under the Fish Stripes podcast banner. We're, we're going to have Earning Their Stripes. We're going to have Fish Bites with Arm Laden. And we're collaborating with Clinton Lumber King's host, Eric Ose. Eric Ose is going to be the broadcaster for Low Light Clinton there. And he's going to have his own weekly pod on this network with us that I'm really excited about. Um, uh, I think we're going to get out of here. We probably went over the time limit that I was looking at. We got your predictions that you could gloat about if you were right. <laughs> and you can them if they turn out to be really wrong. And uh, we'll see everybody back here next week. Except for me. Except for me. I 